You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy that woke up this morning feeling dangerous. He is the captain. I'm just like every man. I wake up every day and put my skirt on one leg at a time. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking Clockwork Tangerine by BrewDog, garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. Clockwork Tangerine is a Sessions IPA infused with just the right amount of tangerine citrusy goodness. And from BrewDog, and as those of you that follow me on Untapped know, I was lucky enough to visit BrewDog just a few weeks ago. If you're ever in central Ohio, make a trip over there. Okay, on to the shout outs we go. First up, a shout out to Andrea in Grand Blanc, Michigan. And a big shout out to John from Cincinnati. John is a big fan of Rheingeist, as are we, John. Next, we give cheers to Lydium in Puerto Rico. And a big we like your jib to the Sisters Grimm in Marion, Iowa. Next, we have Theo from Dorchester, Massachusetts. And last but not least, we have Monica in Georgetown, Indiana. So thanks to everybody for going to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and helping us out with a little bit of beer money for this week's shows. Make sure you follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, all that stuff, at True Crime Garage. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. After Wayne Gravett was murdered, his wife, Diane, sold the farm that they had purchased and moved to earlier that year. She used $50,000 of the money to establish a reward for information on Wayne's murder and set up a website to help gather information. While tips did come in, 
Detective Paul Johnson recently stated that today in 2018, while they have some persons of interest, there are no specific suspects and he will not name these persons of interest. So essentially the case has stalled and they have tried modern testing technologies and these have failed to provide any more clues. Frankly, no one knows if this was something in Wayne's private life or whether it was related to his business. Diane Gravette maintains that her husband was a quiet, hardworking man devoted to his family. He wasn't involved in anything illegal, adding they had a good family home. She said, I know he didn't hurt anybody. We didn't rip anybody off. We didn't owe anybody any money. Sadly, Diane may not have known her husband as well as she thought. Their kids, Danielle and Justin, have realized that while they have fond memories of Wayne as a great family man and dad, outside the home, it was quite a different story. It seems that quite a few people might have wanted to murder Wayne Gravett. All right, yesterday we mentioned affairs, so let's dive in, shall we? Over the course of the investigation, it became apparent that Wayne had multiple extramarital affairs. We know he was often away for work, sometimes far from home, but Wayne also had affairs close to home, and all of this was news to Diane. We don't know the names and identities of most of these women mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, but one friend of Diane's later told her that at one point, Wayne, he snuck into bed with her and pretended to be her husband. And when she realized that it was not her husband, she kicked Wayne out of the bed. But others apparently didn't kick him out. And one was Lisa Irvin. Yeah. Wayne had an affair with her that lasted over five years, starting back when they both worked at Surge. When this information emerged, it was especially hurtful to Diane, who considered Lisa her best friend. Diane says Lisa was at the house all the time, working with her and Wayne, and it annoyed Diane that Wayne flirted with Lisa openly. But she didn't think it was anything more than that. Now, after Wayne's death, when Diane confronted Lisa, Lisa said Wayne initiated the relationship, and she tried to break it off multiple times, but, quote, he wouldn't let her, end quote. She finally left DNL and Wayne in either 1993 or 1994. It's a little, a little murky. Lisa's relationship with other men were ruined because of her affair with Wayne. At the end of the affair, Lisa was dating a guy named Rocky, and police thought that Rocky may have been the jealous type. And Lisa and Rocky both gave hairs for DNA analysis. And there was a man named Dean whom Lisa was seeing during her affair with Wayne. Wayne forced Lisa to dump this guy named Dean, saying he would fire her if she didn't. Mm -hmm. it's possible either of these men could be the culprit, but we should mention one thing here. Uh, apparently, according to Lisa, Rocky was cheating on her as well. You know, so he's been labeled this jealous type, but he also was running around behind her back. Right. Lisa stayed in close touch with the Gravettes after leaving the company and after ending the affair, even visiting the farm at least on one occasion. She says she was intensely grilled by the police after Wayne was killed. She admits that she was terrified, mainly because her name appeared in the letter. 
even if it was misspelled. Police seem not to have pursued the Lisa angle too much, in my opinion, because in the documentary that was later made by the, the CBC, this unearthed that Lisa's old computer, uh, she still had this in her possession, that yeah, police old, had not a, gone through this old computer. It was like an old work computer. Yes, it contained business and financial records of Wayne's. Uh, eventually, after it was uncovered during the course of making this documentary, it was then given to the police. The police have stated publicly that they feel that they have thoroughly and completely vetted Wayne's business affairs, but still lack complete information about the private side of his life. So if he was with many other women on the side, perhaps a jealous husband had had enough. Aside from cheating, is it possible Wayne was harboring another secret? Both Diane and Justin told investigators Wayne was acting odd in the months prior to his death. Mm -hmm. According to, to Diane, Wayne became increasingly agitated in the months before acting paranoid, refusing to answer the phone and ignoring jobs that came up and ignoring angry customers. Well, you also wonder, too, if he's having all these affairs, was there ever a baby through one of these affairs. That's interesting. There could have been a baby. The The other thing too is we talked yesterday that there was rumor or even people on the inside that seemed to believe that Wayne was doing what we called bad business. Yes. And it seems to me like he's dodging somebody. And it's, it feels to me like the most likely person to dodge while at work, while not wanting to answer the phone would be these angry customers, right. angry clients that he was doing bad business with. Diane says that the uh, close to the time of the murder, this is pretty weird here, that she got a phone call at the house, at their home, from Bell Telephone Canada. Mm -hmm. The caller asked Diane what their business was, and she told the caller about the beverage packaging equipment company. Mm-hmm. Now, Wayne yelled at her to get off the phone and warned her not to talk about their business to strangers. This is weird because it doesn't seem likely to me that the phone company would be calling or making this kind of call. Um, it could have just really been somebody fishing for information. Yeah. Was Wayne actually living there, working there, all that jazz? And in fact, after Wayne's death, Diane did call the company back and they did deny ever having called the house. Then we have Justin Wayne's son said that they received a call just weeks before Wayne was killed from someone wanting their address, their new address, claiming they would receive free t-shirts in the mail. Mm -hmm. Justin says he didn't fall for it. And he hung up the phone, never giving them the address. One time a truck pulled into the driveway and Wayne ran outside with a pool cue and chased the truck and it drove away. So what I'm getting at here, Captain, is all of these stories. Oh, yeah, where are you hitting at? Well, all of these stories obviously seem to indicate that Wayne was, so Wayne could have been worried about something. Somebody could have been looking for Wayne. Yeah. Right? Man, Calling the house, a truck showing up. And the, the odd thing, too, is we have the situation with the truck and Wayne chasing it off of the property. That's my favorite one. I mean, that that's a sign that you're, you're paranoid about something. Mm -hmm. So was this, what I have a bit of confusion with though, mm -hmm. I would like to know regarding the telephone company. 
I'd like to know more about when that actually occurred, when that phone call occurred, because the problem that I'm having when I'm going through Wayne and Diane's life is that it, it sounds to me and it looks to me like they were trying to transition away from being this uh, repair company, this equipment repair company slash bottling company. Uh, it looked to me like they were trying to move into the, the water business, into the bottled water business. And I understand that that's, you know, they're similar. Yeah, this part of the story seems a little murky for me because it, it seems on one hand that this is like their last option. We move out to this farm it has a spring on it and this is this is going to save us because the packaging and and all that stuff that business is not going so well that's going under that that's what it seems to me but then it seems like maybe Wayne was still trying to keep one foot in that business and if he was scamming people maybe he was going to keep trying to scam people thinking that he was safe by hiding out on this farm yeah, because the way that all three of these these stories that we just reviewed, mm-hmm. all three, you know, without knowing any dates or any more specifics, and these were stories that are relayed from Diane and from Justin, but without it, more specifics, we are led to believe that these are all incidents that occurred once they moved to this farm. Once they moved to this 104-acre farm, they have the spring, they're going to bottle some water, they're going to create their own bottled water company. Right, and it it seems strange to me that somebody's calling to to inquire about what their business is. It almost felt to me like when when they moved that they were leaving DNL behind, that they were leaving their old business, their old company behind. They were going to start this whole new thing. Like you said, this is last call. This is the last thing that might be able to save us. The other thing too, nineteen ninety six. When you think about it, mm-hmm. if you started up a a bottled water company in 96 Mm -hmm. or I mean, even today, this could be not just the thing to save you. It could be a lottery ticket. Yes. You know, it could turn into a big business. Yeah. A guy I worked for, for a while had a spring on some property and it was at any point they could pull the trigger. And this was a million dollar idea. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about some of his work relationships that we do know more specifics about. Okay. Starting with the surge company that we've already mentioned, the company that Wayne ultimately left, uh, this would be because there was a dispute with the people that he worked with there, specifically the owner of the company, which was Ed Gaelic senior. Well, technically it was his partner, I believe. Yeah. I, I it feels like that, but to be 100% clear, Ed was the was the sole owner of this company. Agreed. He was the head honcho. He was the boss. He was the guy that, at the end of the day, he called the shots. Um, he, there may have been some kind of par- partner relationship. It sounds like to me that Wayne was uh, paid a little differently than most of us. He wasn't technically an hourly guy. wasn't technically a salary guy. I believe he had some ownership in the in the company. Well, I think they paid him ten percent of the. Uh, profits for the right, year. Okay. So his, his, his work was based off of that pay structure right, and their growth of the company, yeah. thus making him feel like some sort of owner, or at least that he is, has ownership of 10% of the company, which I know that when they had their falling out, that there was money owed to Wayne, yeah, which could have been motive. Well, no, but it, it, this money was paid. So, um, 
is really could only be motive if if you didn't want to pay the money. Right. Okay. Right. So this money was paid to him, and as you were stating, he he had some ownership. I didn't have a clear understanding of what that money paid was for, but now that you said he had some ownership, well, it's likely that that was part of their stipulation, part of their their rules, you know, their contract that if at any time I decide, Wayne, you have to leave the company, well, then Ed and Surge and the Surge company has to pay you your 10%. Right. You know, not just for that year, but pay you your 10% for the company. So anyway, let's just refer to Ed Sr. as Ed. Is that going to be too confusing? Because there's an Ed Jr. or Little Ed that we'll talk about uh, as we go. Let's here. call him Old Man Ed. Ed Sr.? Ed Sr. Okay, Ed Sr. And he's a he's a wackadoo. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> That's. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, he is he is on another planet. Well, and I hate here's here's the thing though. I I kind of think Ed Junior or Little Ed is a wackadoo as well. Um, yeah, the wackadoos don't fall f- too far from the tree. And a wackadoo tree. I hate to I hate to come at our victim here, but for somebody that worked so long with both of these individuals and was part business partners with one and had such a long relationship with one, I almost wonder was Wayne a wackadoo as well? He was chasing after trucks with a pull stick <laughs> with a pull, on his with a pull cue. property, and he was moving to a property that had a spring to have a <laughs> to bottled. <laughs> To have a bottle of water. I, I think what's those are some wackadoo ideas, man. I don't know. I don't know what planet you're living on. Let's go with this because this sounds more polite. Can we agree that Wayne? I don't give a shit about being polite. Well, he's. I mean, he was murdered. Okay, and I, his family I, yeah, members I, probably will listen to this when we title it Wayne Gravette. I do give a shit about being polite to- towards him. Yes. Yes. So, but, but yes, I mean, but also this is a situation where not only do you have a business owner. But you have a very close relationship, and Ed Sr. was kind of a mentor-slash-father-figure type to Wayne. So they had a very close bond. Mm -hmm. And I just want to clean this up before we move on. Can we agree, rather than Wayne being a wackadoo, he was sounds like the the type of man that marched to the beat of his own drum? Yeah. That sounds sounds more accurate to me. Yeah, and I think his family would agree with that as well. And you're right about this mentor, maybe even father-son type relationship between Ed Sr. and Wayne Gravette, because Wayne was like 18. He's working at the 7-Up Bottling Company. This is when he meets Ed Sr. And at some point, Ed moves on to um, creating his own business, this Surge Company. And eventually, he will bring Wayne on with him, because Wayne was a hardworking dude. He knew his stuff. Right. And regardless to the beat of the drum that he marched to, everybody that knew it's Wayne a hard working drum though. said he was a hard working dude and he was extremely intelligent when it mm-hmm. came to this industry, when it came to working on these things, being a part of the bottling industry. So they were very tight. They played poker together, they were drinking buddies, they were, you know, boss uh working relationship, all of that up until nineteen ninety three. This was when the relationship just went kaput. And actually, you can, there there are several, well, I don't know if several, there's at least one interview, but there's versions of this interview out there with Ed Sr. And you can hear the way that he refers to their working relationship. He refers to it as a marriage, pretty much, because it was yeah. that lo- 
lengthy and that close of a relationship to the point where he says, this is when we got our divorce was in 1993. This is when we parted ways. Well, that's what it is. I mean, we deal with that all the time, you know, with the podcast getting bigger and bigger. I mean, feels like we're married sometimes. At some point, they brought on Diane, Wayne's wife, as an employee of the company. Ed demanded that Wayne fire her. This seems to be what led them down the road of them parting ways. Uh, Whether it be Wayne got difficult to work with. I can tell you this. The vibe I get from the interview with Ed Sr. that I've seen several versions of. Mm -hmm. Listen to some versions of. He seems a little difficult to get along with, even on a good day. Yeah, he's he's laughing the whole time in the interview, which comes across as a little strange because he is talking to the victim's family. But they're also, you, you could argue that they're family friends. In oh, sense. yeah. So the way he's going to talk to them is going to be different, and maybe he's trying to ease up some of the tension because they're, they're talking about the murder of their father. Um, but he does laugh sometimes where it's just like, this is a little strange. Well, and the whole purpose of bringing up Ed senior and then Ed junior is a couple things because when we, when we dive into this investigation, the investigators have outrightly stated that, that it's either business or personal right. that led to this bomb being mailed to his home. But it seems like law enforcement is in agreement with us where we find that this is probably done by a male, more likely done by a male. Mm-hmm. So if it's going to be personal relationships, it's going to be coming from a jealous husband or boyfriend. And that, but if it comes from the business angle that it's still coming from a male, they've cited that it could be from business with the spring water, you know, the upstart that they were doing could be with DNL or it could be with the surge company. And I think when you break down the simplicity of the thought that your suspect, your perpetrator may lie within one of those businesses is this. If it were someone in connection to the spring water, it would, to me, either be one of two things, a future competitor, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that believed that, that he was going to steal some business from them or maybe a, a, a conservationist. Right. But yeah. And if you look at the letter though, if you think that the letter means anything, mm-hmm. I would argue that, it seems like there's nothing to do with the spring. And also right. just because you have a spring, you are a very far, like I said, I worked for a guy that had a spring. He would always talk about how if they wanted to pull the trigger, they would. Mm-hmm. And well, when you work for the guy and your my job was to help him make money at all his companies. Mm-hmm. So don't you think I said, well, let's pull the trigger. Right. And you know what his reply was? you know how much work that's going to take. So it became, it went from, well, I do know how much work it's going to take. And I can tell you why, because if you stop what you're doing right now, you go to truecrimegarage.com, You can order a case of purified true crime garage, spring water. <laughs> and guess what? Not only did the captain package it and ship it, I put it in the bottles myself. I got, I got four hoses that come off the side of my no, home. Don't trust that water. <laughs> don't trust that water. It's, It'll get you high as a kite. That water is a crime, let me tell you. No, but so it went from, well, we just pulled the trigger and we're multimillionaires to there is a lot of red tape. And so I even think if you go from like this activist standpoint where Mm -hmm. you're going to take this uh, spring water, 
Again, if you think the letter has any relevance, then where, where in the letter would that, you know, point toward towards uh, some activists trying to stop him from bottling this water? Again, it seems I, th- I think you're really hitting on something here because not only did I do I believe that the letter was more of a way to increase the likelihood of Wayne actually flipping that switch and exploding the the flashlight, right? But the reference of Lisa and the reference of, he doesn't just say, the the letter writer doesn't just say Lisa and Joe. It says Lisa and Joe, your delivery man. Right. References his name and attaches it to a title or to a job. Well, here's a question that I have, though. We know that Lisa came from Surge. Right. Do we know if Joe came from Surge? Because one of the interesting things with Ed Sr., you know, Wayne's business partner, let's say, mm-hmm. is in his statements when he's talking to his when he's talking to Wayne's daughter and Wayne's son, he says, "I live on this property that I have to sometimes shoot deer, mm-hmm. but I can't even shoot them, right? So I have to bring somebody else in, um, and that makes me wonder. And that doesn't make me wonder: Did he make the bomb? Uh, I think he would hire possibly somebody to do this. And it's just such a weird statement. And, and if you can find that online, I just think that's something uh, I think that's very telling. Regarding Joe, I'm glad that you asked me that because all along the way here, I felt like not only did Lisa come from the surge company and go to DNL, but also Joe did as well. And I believe that I read that somewhere, but when I went to backtrack, when I went to look back and try to confirm that I had read that somewhere, I couldn't find it again. When you try to pull a job rule and back it up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, you know, we review so much material for this stuff. Sometimes it's hard to remember or put put a place on where you believe that you've read something. My guess is, yes, that this is more of a Michael Scott type situation where he's working for Dunder Mifflin. And I think he quits or he gets fired or whatever. He goes off and starts up the Michael Scott paper company and he's trying to pull some of the employees and take them from Dunder Mifflin to come work for him and his new company. And he's trying to steal and siphon off some of their clients as well. Right. So that would be the motive for Ed senior is that, Hey, we're not working together anymore. We don't have this close knit relationship anymore. You're trying to undercut me you're trying to steal my business um and you made things difficult on me anyways by leaving so i want you dead well and you but i think you're also trying to point out that the letter mentions joe and mentions a title job title for joe and would ed senior have known joe would would joe have worked for him at any point right my guess is is just that yes and that leads us back to one of the biggest questions in this whole case, does the letter mean something? And if you believe that the the letter does mean something, then which you have to, because Lisa and Joe are not just named by chance. They didn't just pull those two names out of thin air and it happened to do something with Wayne's life. Mm-hmm. No, this was all something from before, from before the spring, the bottled you know, water business. So therefore, when you talk about, if this is work related, is it related to Springwater, to DNL, to the Surge Company? I think you can rule out 
the bottled water. I believe so, too. I think you have to stick more with packaging. If this is business related, it's coming from DNL or the Surge Company. Right, but DNL is basically kind of an offshoot of the Surge stuff. So, But again, that would be the motive for Ed Sr. Mm-hmm. So then what about Ed Jr.? What's his motive? Um, I, To be honest with you, I don't know that I understand 100% what either of their motives would be. But a possibility here is once Wayne left the Surge Company, mm-hmm. we have Ed Jr. who had been in and out of the Surge Company for years. He's brought back to the Surge Company, and he basically takes over Wayne's position, working for his father, Ed Sr. Right, and so Ed Sr. actually... He brings up this idea that possibly they had multiple falling outs. He didn't like his son at all. His son didn't like him, which is hilarious because you named your son after yourself. And that's funny when that works out. Well, he liked him the day he named him. Right. (laughs) And then uh, he grew up to be an asshole just like you. And so at some point they have these big falling outs. And so Ed Sr. thinks that maybe it was, I will get rid of Wayne this will look bad towards my father because they had a falling out of their business. Possibly my father gets arrested for this. And now Wayne's gone. My father is in jail and I get to take over the business myself. And that's, that's something that is suggested during this very strange interview as he's laughing multiple times. A lot more to get to after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. 
Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code TrueCrimeGarage50 at FactorMeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, me mateys. I'm enjoying some True Crime Garage bottled water. <laughs> Straight from the hose. It's fantastic. 
In the course of their investigation into Wayne's death, the CBC and Wayne's family brought to light a murder that could be related. And this is Paul Hentinen. He was murdered on May 16, 2002 under mysterious circumstances. Paul knew Wayne. He worked in the same packaging industry and even bought parts from Wayne and used to play a regular poker game with Wayne and others in that industry. Paul was at a pub the evening that he was murdered and was dropped off by a taxi just after midnight at his apartment, although some reports say it was at his company warehouse. Regardless, he was stabbed 14 times and left for dead. Police found his green 1997 Chevy pickup nearby a few days later and found a palm print and several DNA profiles in it, but the case has never been solved. Apparently at the time, the police never considered whether the two murders were connected. They said that a large amount of money went missing around the time of Paul's murder. They believe that Paul knew the people that killed him or the person that killed him, and it was personal and not connected to Wayne. All we know is that Paul and Wayne knew each other, worked in the same industry, and were both murdered in unsolved cases about six years apart. Yeah, but way different kinds of murders. One is from a distance, not Mm. being able to see one's up close stabbing. This is somebody that does not mind getting their hands dirty. And quote unquote, a large amount of money missing. You know, we don't know what that money was, what it was tied to, but, uh, or how much it was, but that is always listed when anytime we look up or look into Paul Hinton's murder. Yeah, the the difficult thing here for me, though, is the records of Wayne and how he kept his records for his business and and having it be a a small business. Mm -hmm. We're never going to know if there was a chunk of money missing or money that was supposed to be paid back to somebody. We, We might just not know because of how the books were kept. Well, and from my understanding that is that Wayne operated his business when he was out to repair something, install something, sell something to somebody. He operated under a 50 slash 40 slash 10 payment method. And what that meant was that the client or customer would pay 50% upfront when they agreed to have the work done, 40% upon the completion of the work or the delivery, and then 10% would later be billed 30 days out. The problem with this is not so much the billing method, but we have individuals, including his family and coworkers and people that worked for him, that said that it would not be terribly unusual for Wayne to do something off the books. Right. And this is where the thought comes in that maybe Wayne conducted quote unquote bad business with people, meaning he could sell somebody something sell some equipment or repair something or do some work for somebody and say, you know what, just pay me under the table. And the thought of the bad business is maybe he was charging people for things up front. And because it was on the DL, he would never deliver. He would never come through with what they agreed upon. And he would just pocket the money. And Paul's hit could have possibly been a hit. And that kind of gives, leads us into this idea of a man came forward that worked in the industry, and he said, hey, look, $5,000, $10,000, that's no big deal in our industry. Mm -hmm. But it could get you killed. Yeah. Some people will kill somebody for five, 
to $10,000. Well, and the rumor that he states is that he heard that the bombing was a hired job and they hired the Hells Angels. Well, there, there are actually several biker gangs, let's say, or biker clubs or groups, whatever you want to refer to them as, that have been rumored to have been involved in Wayne's death. I think the strange thing here to me, Captain, is I wonder personally if this just is like Wayne drove a Harley. He, he, ha- he had a Harley. He was a motorcycle guy. Is this like the, is this one more way to kind of tie this in? Because there, well, and, and Wayne was a loud man. He was kind of a bullshit talker. Mm-hmm. So is this where it comes from? Well, and he, he was at bars and poker games. I, to me, I, I feel like if he got loud or aggressive with somebody in a biker club, that that person would have just straightened him out right there on the spot. Right. This isn't something that <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that any of these type of gangs would be like, Oh, well let's just sit on this for months or years and we'll right. send a bomb to his, his family's home. And that being the key word family in there, because with a lot of these situations, including, you know, Irish mob, Italian mafia, mm-hmm. all that jazz, if you if you are in one of these gangs, even if they are a violent gang or if they are a, a mob or mafia that will do things uh, violently, causing someone's death, at the end of the day, these men, regardless of how violent they are, they are individuals that have families themselves. And the way that the, the thought is of most of these individuals would be that they wouldn't risk harming somebody that was innocent to settle a debt or to gain revenge on someone where I agree with you mostly on that. I do want to bring up the idea and it even states in the letter had a hard time finding you. So Mm -hmm. if you need to settle a score and you can't find that person that this may be not so much a counter, a cowardly way, but that you just can't make contact with this individual. Mm. And so is this something they would do? And then that started making me wonder the, Acton Home, what, what was the name of the company again? Acton know. Home Project uh, Products. Okay, neither one of us can talk today. Uh, does that does the AHP stand for something? Possibly some form of um, biker gang or something. Well, so there there's a couple of thoughts in and around this whole theory itself. Is that could this be linked to a biker gang? Could this have been a hit? The other thing that people have considered and discussed was, was Wayne getting into some hardcore drugs and was drugs the link to his actual murder? Yeah. He was an avid pot smoker and he was known to sell pot to people, but family and friends say never heard him talk about anything of a harder drug or, or anything like that. Now I went down all of these roads when looking into this case. And if, if we go into each one of these, we could be talking about this case for four or five hours. Mm -hmm. If anybody wants to look into those angles, I recommend it. However, take this with you along the way or consider this before going down these roads. What I found when we cover these cases and in my, you know, long history of reading about true crime is usually captain. I find that when something is linked to a biker gang, to 
the mafia or to drugs, it's pretty easily connected by police. They may not, they may not know the exact culprit. They might, may not know the individual or the exact individuals responsible, right? But usually in these investigations, you can get the vibe from investigators, from the detectives fairly early on that they, they know. They, they, they'll say, hey, we believe this is drug-related. Right. They know the entity that's responsible. Right. And without any exact proof of him having doing any harder, anything harder than marijuana, mm-hmm. I mean, look, it, I've seen it. I've seen investigators go down that road, too, and it just it usually doesn't pan out. There's usually something very obvious from the get-go that it's one of those things. And I think when we have limited time here to discuss the possibilities and discuss, discuss the theories, Mm -hmm. I think that spending too much time on those, there just doesn't seem to be enough there for me. Right. And this guy that came forward, I think he might just believe the rumor he heard. I think everything that, that we have here is something linked to Wayne's work. All right. So let's get into your your thoughts, your opinions. Well, and what I mean by that is not necessarily solely related to his work. What I mean is that something, I believe whoever sent this bomb to his home, whoever's responsible for this, I believe that the the tension, whatever led to this individual taking this action, it happened during the course of his time with surge or his time with DNL. And the reason why I say that is simply because of the names Lisa and Joe listed on the letter. Right. And also the letter is also indicating, hey, you've done work for us before. We are looking for you to do work for us in the future. Blah, blah, blah. You see what I mean? It, it feels like there's something in that time period of his life that is a connection there. Mm-hmm. It could be the problem with this case is there's so many possibilities. And what I mean by that is to simplify them, it's either business or personal, personal affairs. Who knows how many affairs this guy had. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes play down on player, when it comes down to business, I really feel like it's DNL or surge. But at the same time, it feels like to me that working for the surge company and his owning his own company of DNL allowed him to have some of these affairs mm-hmm. as well. So I firmly believe that it's something based around those to be honest with you, captain, at the end of the day, I kind of feel like Ed Sr. and Ed Jr. might be the ones here. And the reason why I say that is for a couple of reasons. We have two individuals that seem to have been inquiring about Wayne's address. Mm-hmm. If you look at those composites, and I now mind you, I'm looking at pictures of Ed Jr. and Ed Sr. from 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. But if you can kind of play back the tape, go 20 years ago, these guys kind of look like the composite drawings, right? especially there's, Ed there's, Jr. Right. And there's two drawings and to have two individuals that work together that are related to look like the drawings as kind of a coincidence. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the structure of Ed Jr.'s face, his haircut and his, his neck, the size of his neck. Mm-hmm. That looks to me like the composite of the younger man, what I would say label as the younger man of the two composites. The older individual appears to me to be a Ed Sr. from 20 years ago. It's a similar style hair, similar style face. The only difference is I, you, there, are, there are glasses 
being worn by the person in the composite drawing. And I can't say for certain if I recall if Ed Sr. was wearing glasses. Now, I saw, and you have as well, and I've listened to interviews with both of these individuals, Sr. and Jr. The thing is, when I'm watching these or listening to them, I do need to keep in mind I've only seen edited versions of these interviews. This is not like watching them start to finish. Right. It's edited versions. The troubling thing for me here is while both of them seem somewhat candid when they sit down and are willing to talk with the families and talk with the CBC regarding these, uh, regarding this murder, both of them do, do two things that I, I find are intriguing. They both say I couldn't have murdered him. In fact, I couldn't kill anybody at all. And then two, both of them, especially Ed senior, Ed senior seems to spend a lot of time telling them of what roads he would go down other possible suspects. Yeah. And, and and even naming his son as one. Look, he might just be trying to be helpful or at the same time, he might be trying to steer uh, the spotlight away from himself. Well, law enforcement did say that they gave certain suspects polygraphs, but they weren't going to go into that information. Now, Ed Jr. claims that his father brags about taking a polygraph and passing that. Well, he says in one of those interviews that he gave several polygraphs. Right. But we don't know that that's what happened. And Ed Jr. says that they never even brought up the word polygraph to him. Yeah. So a curious thing here is we have Ed Sr. telling the CBC, he says, well, you know, they asked me uh, about DNA. They asked me why they would have found hairs of mine on the farm. On the, Now, mind you, they just moved to this farm six months before his murder. Mm-hmm. Ed Sr. has never been to this farm. So why would they find hairs of his on the farm? And he states, well, you know, that he, this guy was, was, was a crook all the time playing games, whatever. He would steal my baseball caps and wear, you know, I'd have a hat missing. And then the next day I'd see him wearing it. Right. And I thought, oh, well, I need a new hat. So he has an answer for why they would find hair at his farm. Well, he has an answer for everything. What I think's a little telling there though, when we go back to many of the cases that we've covered, but let's look at one specifically, the West Memphis three case. We know the, what was it? A page of nine questions that the FBI formulated for the local police and investigators to ask people while they were canvassing the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. One of those questions was why would DNA or why would evidence of you be found at the crime scene? My, where my head goes with this captain is what if during the course of Ed senior being interviewed, they're not telling him that they found his hair there, right? They're simply stating, why would we find your hair at the crime scene? Why would we find your hair at their farm? And he has an answer for that. Why, why isn't again, this is a edited interview, but why isn't that answer going? Well, I was never at the farm. That's the answer they're looking for to clear you. I was never at the farm, so you wouldn't have found my hair there. Right. No, instead, he has a way to get his hair from off of the top of his head all the way to that farm that he's never been to. The other weird thing, too, is when Ed Jr.'s talking, he says, and I swear, during the course of the interview, I heard him say that he had drove by the farm on one occasion. Mm -hmm. And he, he references that... Oh, I said to myself, that looks like a nice place. 
But we have both of these individuals saying that they lost touch with Wayne for about three years. Right. But you drove by his home. How did you know where he lived? And then you have, let's back it up even more. You have Ed Sr. He says in his interview, oh, I kind of lost track for him completely for two years. Well, they didn't work together. They had their falling out over three years before his murder. He says in that first year, he was keeping tabs on Wayne because of what I referenced earlier, the Michael Scott situation where Wayne is taking his employees and trying to take his clients and customers as well. Mm -hmm. And so he kept tabs on him for about a year. Well, likely Ed senior could have known that Lisa left and went to work for Wayne without keeping tabs. He could have known that Joe left and went to work for Wayne without keeping tabs, but having kept tabs, he 100% would know this. Mm -hmm. What about, what did you, did you hear the slip in Ed Jr.'s interview where he's where he talks about the falling the last falling out between him and his father and he says that they got into some type of argument and he says I never saw my father act that way before I never saw him that mad right and he said to me that I will do the same and then Ed, Ed these are Ed Jr.'s words talking about his father saying Ed Sr. said I will do I will do the same or the same thing, and then he cuts himself off and he says, he basically said he would kill me. Right. Was he about to say that, that his father told him the same thing that happened to Wayne is going to happen to you? Right. Which is weird. Like, And it's almost like he catches himself and stops that statement. Now, it could have been a slip of the tongue. Did I say every word perfectly today? No. Every sentence perfectly today? No. Maybe on episode 975, but, but maybe if I edit for six hours, (laughs) but what I'm getting at, it seemed like almost a a weird slip there to me that there's weird slips in both of their interviews. Yeah, I think. And, and the thing you pointed out, especially with Ed senior, Ed junior does it a little bit too, but Ed senior does that crazy laugh at the end of every statement. Well, I also believe he's wearing a hearing aid, so that could affect uh, how he's delivering uh, his message on certain things. Mm, true. So, so, you know, be cautious of that. But I think what would be really interesting, especially during this documentary, if they could have got Wackadoo one and Wackadoo junior into a room and to see what kind of chemistry would happen and what kind of stories they would tell and what kind of slip ups they would they tell. But you said something that I fully agree with. Both stated they couldn't kill somebody well, sending a bomb, you are killing somebody, but you're not doing the act yourself. Right. Uh, you asked Senior, who's smart enough to do this? Oh, my son could. He could do anything. So uh, so that kind of feels like a slip as well. But also the thing that really bothers me is the fact that Senior can point to Junior and say, um, he could have done this and this is why he would have. And then Junior basically says the same thing about his father. And maybe they did some um, investigating. You know, here's a here's my big thing about this investigation that I don't like. They had several suspects and they said, you know, we, we would find out their alibis. Look, sometimes with these cases, the alibi is willing to lie for the person at the time. But if you go back later and start redigging, will that person then tell you, I don't know 
if he was there or not? Would that alibi crumble? Well, that's what makes this case interesting and unique compared to a lot of other cases that we've covered. The whole thought of the alibi. What kind of alibi do you need when a random package shows up that turns out to be a bomb? Very good point. And the thing here, too, is back to the hairs, back to, and this is Ed Sr.'s words. This is not me just coming up with this. This is them saying, well, You're not why, making up some words. Why would we have found your hair at their farm? And he says, well, he, he had all my old baseball hats, mm-hmm. you know, my old ball caps. He, he would take them and they probably had some hairs in there. Well, guess the whole thing. When we talked about what evidence could we find in the letter, the packaging, the bomb itself, there were two hairs that were found underneath the tape on the box itself on mm-hmm. the packaging for this bomb. What do we have here? We have Ed Sr. explaining away why his hair would be found at the farm. We also have Ed Jr. that later states, look, they came to me asking me a whole bunch of questions. They asked me to submit DNA. They asked me to submit hair samples. I answered some of their questions. I refused to give them DNA. I refused to give them my hair samples. I told them if you're knocking on my door, then you're way off the path. Right. Just give them your hair, man. Right. Give them your hair. If they're way off the path. And both these dudes got money. You know, I know, I know at least Ed senior does. I, I, I feel like Ed junior probably does lawyer up, give them your hair, quit being shifty. It's, it's weird too. again, again, with the whole thing of Ed senior throwing shade, any chance he gets, he's sitting in front of the children of his dead friend of his murdered friend, one time friend. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, somebody that he even states, was more of a son to him than his own son. Yeah, and he says he was a pig. He was he was a womanizer. He was he was a thief. He was a criminal. You know, he was a crook. He and what he's doing in my opinion is he's pointing out a million reasons why it's anybody else other than him. To the to the damn point that he would even take his own son, throw him under the bus and say, "My son's smart enough to do this." I don't think that he did. I don't think he has it in his heart, but I went down that path myself is what he says. Yeah. And on top of that, the thing that you just pointed out is key here. Just because these two individuals say I couldn't have killed anybody. Guess what? That's exactly who they are looking for, who the police are looking for. If this, if the psychology of past bombers translates to this case, that's exactly who they're looking for. Someone that doesn't have the ability to strangle someone, stab someone, shoot someone, face-to-face or even have the guts to be in the same room with them when this goes down. Well, let me just tell you something. The jury, they deliberated. They're back from lunch, my friend. The verdict is out. It's in. (laughs) The verdict is in. You guys are wackadoos. Well, you you know what is wacky? Mm -hmm. Is that throughout the course of the short interview with Ed Jr., he constantly says this, the phrase, I was blown away. That blew me away over and over again when he's talking about things related to his father and related to the case. Right. And it's weird to me. And I know that it's likely just a slip or maybe it's just a common phrase that he uses often throughout his life. But we're talking about a murdered victim who was blown up. Right. Was it a subconscious slip? Right.
no recommended reading this week. But if you want to catch up on our old episodes, our old episodes are exclusively on the Stitcher app, but they are free. So just download the Stitcher app and you can check us out there. Our show off the record is also on Stitcher Premium and you can sign up for a free month. And we will see everybody back here in the garage next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.